Hey there, before we get started, here's just a quick disclaimer. This episode revolves around the company that I work for and the guy who runs it. However, this podcast is something completely independent, but I am grateful that the people of Scythe have supported me throughout this journey. So, this episode is just like any other, a window into the world of someone who I believe is shaping cybersecurity. Don't know where it came from in my consciousness, but somehow I was like, how about I could grim on top of a unicorn? And our graphic artist just nailed it and did a brilliant job. And it's, it is such a great design. In fact, it's so good that we partnered with Hackers for Charity, where they sell men's and women's t-shirts with the design because it was so popular. Um, and it was a huge hit. And, you know, it was one of those things we knew it was good, but we didn't realize how big a hit it was until we showed up at Black Hat and just everybody snapped everything up. From Hacker Culture FM, I'm Sean Sun, and you're listening to Security Sandbox, a podcast about the makers and breakers shaping cybersecurity. A common theme we explore in this podcast is cybersecurity entrepreneurship, talking to startup founders about what they're making that's shaping the future of our industry. They share stories and knowledge about how they've built their product and what they've learned along the way. But there's a few myths around entrepreneurs, like that they're super people who can do it all, or that they're born to lead, or that one day a founder wakes up with an amazing idea that will change the world. But if those were the only ways to start a company, this episode wouldn't be titled Not Doing It Alone with Bryson Bort. Bryson is my guest today, but for the past few years, he's also been my boss at the security company he founded called Scythe. Scythe is this platform that allows you to create safe malware in a matter of minutes. We'll get into why that's important later on in this episode. And just as I learned so much from Bryson when I get to talk to him in person, I learned a ton from this conversation about what he's built for himself in cybersecurity. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. We talk about his company's Grimm and Scythe, his time in the army, and his very important announcement regarding the names of some unicorns. Today's a story about believing in something and remembering all the people who helped you get there. And to start that story, we first have to go back in time. Six and a half years ago, um, a few beers and some drawings on a napkin was all that took. And by myself, day one, sitting there on the couch going, all right, now what? Uh, and it was a, a couple of years of pretty much doing any remotely technical job that came my way. Um, I did anything I could do to keep the lights on, to keep going. Uh, I like to think that being an entrepreneur is a lot like being a predator in the Serengeti. And you are in the dry season and you are looking for game and there is no water and you are tired and hungry and thirsty and you just keep going. Do you remember what it felt like getting your first client? Yeah, that was, uh, like I said, that was about two years in. Um, that felt really good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, it was so it was nice to have the pressure off of having to make it paycheck to paycheck. Uh, we spent those two years were counting the beans for every single paycheck. Are we going to make payroll? Are we going to make payroll? And I skipped payroll personally numerous times. Nobody else ever had to skip payroll. And uh, that was important to me, but that was a lot of stress and pressure to make payroll every time. And that first time you get enough of a contract and then you win enough and you have enough money in the bank where it's like, oh, oh, okay. Um, now I have to start thinking about what do we do next? How do we start going out of a knife fight to being strategic? And with time, Grimm grew into an amazing cybersecurity organization. 
The contracts they received got larger and larger. After a couple of years, Grimm was approached by a Fortune 50 company, which eventually led to the founding of Scythe, a platform that lets you evaluate your security investment in people and technology. When you can make malware exactly to your specifications, you can see if the security solutions you've paid money and implemented are actually working. We had a long history of uh, incubating other R&D projects. Uh, Scythe just happened to be the one with the most promise uh, we had uh, effectively a, an external commercial customer who everybody knows, and everybody knows their story. Um, and we are the, we're part of the epilogue of that story of uh, a few years later, um, and they came to us. And the problem they had was, we've invested all this money into security, and we know there's a gap between where we're able to assess ourselves and where that threat is. And could you build us a one-off implant to exercise a portion of that. And I was like, well, what if I built you a platform of unlimited implants instead and let you be able to, to change all those pieces around? And that, that was where the original piece came from. And that, that happened while we were at Grimm. Um, and it was really just the, the first test case of, okay, let's commercialize this intellectual property and let's take it and go. This is the beginning of Scythe's story, a product incubated out of a top cybersecurity firm and a CEO who believed in the product so much, he formed a new company. In late 2017, Bryson announced that he'd be assuming the role of CEO at Scythe and stepping down and taking the chairman title at Grimm. Unlike the myths of entrepreneurship we were just talking about, companies like Scythe aren't built by just one person. You need an engineering team, a marketing team, and of course, salespeople. And to do all that, you need money. With there being a limited time to grind, hustle, and close sales, Bryson worked on finding seed investors. And so while I was spending my own money to, to build the product, I realized I needed help. And that's why I went and got investors. In September 2018, Scythe announced a $3 million seed round led by the co-founder of Tenable, Ron Gula. One month later, Scythe found its first customer in John Strand of Black Hills InfoSec, an offensive cybersecurity firm that offers top-notch penetration testing and red team engagements. That was a big deal. Um, and I, I, he's, he's done a couple of testimonials for us, um, and he and I are working on some things to, to take this even further together. I mean, that was him putting his money where his mouth is. I mean, he wrote a check saying, I want to spend the money to have this capability. Um, and... That's a huge validation. Um, to have somebody of that level do it is an even bigger validation. Um, and so it was, a, it, was, it was a huge feeling of relief and it was a good you know, first check of validation. And it's been fortunate that we've now added um, a handful more customers that have also um, followed that path. So I guess my question is, uh, why, hasn't that, why hasn't this existed before? Is, is there like a timing thing? Uh, is there just because like we've hit some sort of critical mass, anything like that? Well, somebody gave me the good idea. <laughs> so there, <laughs> let's start with that, right? I, I, I right. got that because somebody came to me and presented enough information where I realized there was that gap. Um, it wasn't a way that I'd been looking at it before. Um, and even after we started building it, it took me a couple of years to realize that we were solving a deeper problem about cybersecurity than what we had started to build. Um, so, I, I mean, all I can look at is my, me and the team's personal journey of starting something, realizing that there was a requirement for it, and then a couple of years later, piecing together that we were solving an even bigger problem about the overall space that we hadn't even thought was a way to do it. And now, you know, it's been a couple months since our seed round. Um, what do you think? Smashing success. Everybody loves us. 
Um, so I'll get I'll give two answers to that. Uh, the first is uh, the the good part, and then the the other thing is I'll I'll share a lesson learned. Okay. Um, and the good part is that uh, our product has been met with a ton of interest, um, not only here in the United States, but we're not actively marketing outside of the country, and we get a ton of international interest. And I think the biggest thing that's driving all that interest is what we've built answers a question that has never been effectively answered in cybersecurity. Um, as you've heard me say many times, I mean, there's lots and lots of products out there, and I don't speak pejoratively, pejoratively of them as, oh, that's all snake oil. I think almost all cybersecurity products are good products. I think they were built by earnest folks who saw a part of the problem and they answered part of that problem. And the problem was what they understood about the threat yesterday and they solved a yesterday problem. And then we keep getting to tomorrow and we keep getting surprised. And what we've built helps get to tomorrow. We can predict what tomorrow is because we found a way to bound that threat where that's the entire potential of what they can do. And to be able to take that and throw that against your entire enterprise and look at the people and the technology at the same time is a, is a really powerful hypothesis. Now, going to the part where, well, what did I learn? Um, so we've been working on this for three and a half years ever since uh, the original idea came to us. And you learn a lot. And a lot of what investors look at when they're investing in a company is they look at the people, they look at the leadership team because the product you know, might sound good, but again, you don't have enough data points of other people that aren't your mom and dad or you know, your close friends of what they really think about. What does the great you know, market think of this? Does there value? And so they look for, does that team have the intelligence to identify what needs to change and the agility to quickly implement that. And one of the biggest things that we figured out is we were very excited when we were building this. And one of our patents is the fact that it's really modular. And instead of waiting on the vendor, you, the client, can build your own little Lego pieces and all the Lego pieces will work together because we, we provide that ability. And we were, we'd pat ourselves on the back. We'd be very excited about that. And we'd pitch that. And what we figured out in January is the way that we made it for you to develop those Lego pieces was such a high bar of development skill set that it was effectively unattainable by the average blue team or red team. They didn't have that kind of development expertise to be able to do it. And so we're like, oh, oh, all right. Well, <laughs> all right. Lesson learned. That was sounded good on paper. Didn't meet reality. Well, having listened to to your other podcasts. Um, you've explained the difference between a CIO and a CISO, where you said that a CISO is a con man. Can you <laughs> tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, going back to the <laughs> fact that nobody knows what really works in security, um, as a CISO, your responsibility is... So a CIO is operational. My business needs to operate. It needs technology to deliver the service or the product or whatever we're doing. And without it, bad things happen. Very tactical, very much day-to-day, 24-7. A CISO, unless something bad is happening, is not day-to-day, 24-7. They're a little more strategic. They get to sit back and go, okay, what do I need to do around all these things that are happening here to assure that they can happen? And so when we talk about them being common, it's because, again, we don't know what works. Nobody knows what works. I can give you an opinion. I can point to things, but there's no proof. 
And so that's my joke is if I'm, at the end of the day, they're going, well, this is, these are the music instruments you want. This is what you want to do because that's what everybody else is doing. And that's, I think, good enough. We don't know. And um, the funniest conversation I've ever had that with the CISO was, and he dropped his voice to a whisper and he says, I kind of look forward to breaches. <laughs> I looked at him and I'm like, what? He's like, it's the only time I know what works or what doesn't. Because it's true. It's the only time you get the proof. Um, and so a CISO's job is be really good at talking to the other executives on the board, right? Putting that umbrella around it to make them feel good and under and you know palatable and understood. And then at the end of the day, deliver security that you can roughly justify because there's enough opinion and in quote proof out there that that's what's going to work. And would you say that the current investors are almost like coaches to you or do you have like an executive coach, anything like that? I So one of my secret weapons is my dad. Um, my, my father, uh, was, uh, okay. Um, he was a tanker first in the army and then he went into military intelligence. Uh, he got out as a, a full bird colonel and then he went on to, uh, run the North American arm of a Swedish consulting company that specialized in, uh, executive coaching. So I had a built-in executive coach throughout my entire okay. career and my father who um, has always been there to, to give me advice okay. and, and do that. Uh, when I look at uh, the investors that I have, yeah, in a lot of ways, they're also coaches in their own regards. Um, they each bring something different to the table. Uh, we really mm -hmm. covered a wide range of the industry uh, with the different uh, angel investors that we had, mm -hmm. um, all the way from Justin Label, who's brilliant at finance, Oliver Friedrichs, who founded Phantom and has a really good insight mm -hmm. to the reporting and analytics of what goes on on the blue side. Dave Kennedy, who founded Trusted Second Binary Defense and is a brilliant insight into offensive security. Uh, and the list goes on like that. But not only investors and family are the ones that provide him coaching, his social circle does as well. So nobody does this alone. And an executive coach is somebody specific that's a third party there to give you professional advice. But the broader context is your social circle. Who are your friends and acquaintances in the professional space? And you're going to find that a lot of your friends and acquaintances in that space are going to be the same, the same place in life and you know, technical role that you are. Um, and so I have lots of friends who are founders and CEOs. And we talk all of the time. And so we're able to bounce things off and be like, oh, hey, John, you know, I just saw that a month ago and now I'm dealing with this. And he's like, oh, well, I know so-and-so he's been dealing with that. Or, you know, I dealt with that three months ago. And you just, you continue to have the ability to get the tactical feedback and discussion and kind of level setting um, from your natural group. Um, so I'm curious, is there any lesson that your dad has taught you that kind of just sticks with you every day that like often comes up whenever you're trying to make a decision, anything like that? I'd say the first one that comes to mind is pick your battles. When I was younger, I was more impatient. Um, it's, I, I, I tried to be the smartest guy in the room and I quickly learned that that was not the point. Um, and I have founded two companies now where I, my principle is how do I find people way smarter than me and bring them into the room 
And that lesson has guided him in more than just business. Before Bryson started companies, he was at the United States Military Academy at West Point studying computer science. Afterwards, he became a U.S. Army officer and served as a battle captain and brigade engineering officer in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom before leaving the Army as a captain. Also, he commanded tanks. I was a qualified tank commander. Is there anything that you learned as you grew uh, at West Point and... Um, is there anything that you learned there that has kind of like been a parallel and translated to you being a CEO now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, West Point models itself as the, not just a university, but one imbued with teaching leadership. Um, and I, I would definitely say that I, I learned a lot about the psychology of leadership, the organizational skills of leadership. Um, and you really get the advantage of it not only being in the classroom, but I mean, it's a military academy. So you have the opportunities to physically put it into play in multiple different kinds of events and exercises that we do. Um, and that was the same thing I learned as an army officer. Um, probably the, the best lesson there is uh, when I was a platoon leader. Um, this is right before 9-11. I, I took over the trouble platoon, um, and they gave it to me on, on purpose. Um, and, uh, this was the, this was the signal core. So I was responsible for telecommunications, um, in a large, you know, contested area. And this isn't like I had telephone poles or something, but we had to go run around and set up. RF antennas and cellular towers on our own and in military equipment to be able to provide those communications over that space um, so that the uh, the warriors could could move and operate. And as the officer in charge, you are the least technical person there by definition. You haven't received months of training on how to run a an antenna or how to manage a node center. Um, all of these specific specialties that that's what the soldiers do. And yet you're the one in charge. And the biggest lesson I learned there was I would walk around and I would just ask questions. Specialist Rodriguez, what are you doing? Oh, sir. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, all right. Thank you. And I would just ask. Like I had them as a part of their jobs, just randomly teach me all the different pieces and um, they didn't know that I didn't know what I was doing. They just thought that I was asking a question and I learned from doing that. Um, and I eventually became very good at the job and, um, I earned the respect of the, the overall platoon because of my, I guess, more cerebral approach to being good at the job. Hey, don't go anywhere. After this ad break, we'll be talking about Bryson's first big failure. Hacker Culture FM is supported by 1Password. 1Password is an easy-to-use, secure password manager that gives you and your family that peace of mind. With 24-7 support and award-winning mobile apps, you can make sure that when you're sharing your Netflix passwords, it's all under lock and key. And since everyone on the HCFM team uses 1Password, we've teamed up with them to give you three months free for 1Password families. That's right, three whole months. You can sign up now by going to hackerculture.fm slash one password. That's hackerculture.fm forward slash the number one password. 
what is your biggest failure? My biggest failure? Yeah. I'll start with my first big failure. Okay. I was a first lieutenant. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, at that point, pretty confident in my abilities. I had a good reputation. Um, I was, you know, one of the really good guys who was given problems to solve that, um, uh, you know, that they needed to be solved in the battalion. And uh, this sounds really, really silly, but uh, so our brigade ran the 4th of July festivities at Fort Hood every year. And this consisted of all sorts of different things, like at a festival. Plus, we also did a 5K and a 10K race, and there was a Volks march. And the young lieutenant who had been put in charge of the 5K and 10K um, was not doing his job. And so they're like, all right, let's let's throw Lieutenant Board at it and like solve it. And to cut this whole story short, um, not only did I did we not execute it well, which was under my leadership, um, it was bad enough that I had to write an apology in the Post newspaper. Wow, uh, which they were kind enough to put on the front page <laughs> and um, highlight the column in like a different color, so it was the first thing you noticed. Wow. Um, Okay. So yeah, that was that was my first big humbling experience, okay. <laughs> and it was very very public. <laughs> Interesting. Do you have that newspaper at all? I don't know if I do. I was actually thinking about that as I said it. If it if it's still around, what does burnout look like for you? Hmm. Um, I don't know. You you just shut down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's just points where you can only do so much. Um. And as companies grow, it doesn't get easier. Um, it changes and in a way it gets harder. Um, I remember the first time that the payroll for Grimm reached a number of zeros where I was like, all right, well, <laughs> that's bigger than my account can just cover. Um, it's more than me now. Um, and letting go and recognizing where something has become more than you and trusting the people who are now running and doing all those things. Um, and that's, that acceptance goes a long way to controlling and letting go of where you might burn out and get stressed about things. A, I guess a couple of years ago now, um, you gave a speech uh, to me and a bunch of my peers, and one advice you had for a lot of us is to take a break. Um, and I'm curious because, you know, you, you're working on sites, but you also work on ICS Village. Um, you're a center advisor to the National Army Cyber Institute and a bunch of other things. Uh, what does taking a break look like for you? What do you do for fun or self-care? Uh, so one of the advantages of being a homeowner is your house always demands attention. Um, okay. I garden. I love gardening. I have a, an herb and a vegetable garden as well as I, lots of flowers. Um, I physically take care of myself, so I I work out. Uh, I used to be very um, competitive in jujitsu, but I've I've had to take a, a break from that for lots of different reasons. Um, so I don't get to to do that as much. But all those different outlets between um, things as Zen as just going and playing in the weeds and the the plants um, takes your mind off things and working out not only is a great stress reliever, but it, it makes it easier to be able to do more because you have the physical fitness and stamina to do it. Well, I know that Grimm and now Scythe, and that's as far as I know, but you've always had a no douchebag policy. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I use the term that 
the phrase that we try to build the best team. I use that intentionally because it's not the best individuals. Um, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the best individuals could carry an entire project. Things were simple enough back then that that, you know, maybe that could have worked. But the day, these days, when you look at the complexity of platforms and software and systems, it takes a team to be able to produce. And so we need to look at what's the best way that these group of folks can produce together. Um, and so the, when I look at the way I describe a senior engineer and that transition to mentorship, it's how do I make everybody else better? The douchebag never moves past themselves. They are the smartest guy in the room or the girl, smartest girl in the room. They want to get the credit. They want to drive things because they want to do it. And that may not be what's best for the team. And so that ability to, how do I work together with all these folks? How do I help make them better? How do I spend my time collaborating and mentoring junior folks so that they can start to become better over time? Putting that kind of additional investment and um, is, I, is the, bigger, the bigger piece. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, have you ever had to lay off someone or fire someone? Absolutely. What is that experience like? Um, so firing somebody is not going in there and yelling at them, berating them or throwing things. Um, at the end of the day, you've reached a point where this person isn't fitting into the organization for whatever reason. Um, before you get there though, is the first question of, I mean, have you had an explicit conversation with them about that? I'm surprised how many managers have come into my office over my career and complained about somebody. And the first question I ask is, have you talked to them? They're like, well, no. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, I believe everybody comes in and wants to contribute value for the most part. People want to feel like they're contributing and making a difference. And if they're not, it's because there's some kind of, there's some breakdown there for something. Maybe they can't do it. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe there's something else that's holding them back. And so trying to identify that, that's where you start. And then at the end of that, if that issue continues to persist and you have to do something, then in the end of the day, firing them or letting them go is helping them be happy again. I mean, they're not going to be happy here if they're not contributing, if they don't feel like they're a part of it. And so allowing them and making it that a clean transition to like, okay, you need to go do this somewhere else. Um, I think at the end of the day is really setting them free to find that balance again. I think it's fair to say that you've built a reputation for yourself in security um, through Grim, through Scythe. And, and I think it's also fair to say that cybersecurity, like many, many industries, that reputation and brand really, really matter. Um, how do you build that reputation? Integrity. Okay confidence. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think I've always gone on my way to be the nicest or friendliest person, but I'm helpful whenever possible. Um, I, I mean, I certainly don't try to be a jerk, but it's not like I am trying to be the nicest guy in the room. Um, but at the end of the day, people know they can trust me and they know that what I say, I do what I say. Um, that consistency and that belief and that trust over time starts to turn into a reputation because people know exactly what to expect from you. Through running Grim and through running Scythe, 
Um, how do you think cybersecurity has grown since six years ago versus now? Oh, boy. Um, well, with all of the rash of IPOs with you know companies like CrowdStrike and Carbon Black, uh, we, we've seen a lot of money coming into the space from, from outside. Um, I think it's become much more complex. Um, you, you start to look at, let's see, I mean, so seven, nine years ago, I mean, AV plus a firewall plus a few things was enough. And now we don't even like think of AV as just AV anymore. And now it's all EDR, right? I need to have this thing that's there on the hose that goes to this back end. And so we've seen a lot more of, I don't, I don't want to use this in a silly way where we talk about the cloud, but fundamentally companies and enterprises have allowed a lot more outside of them in to get a lot more functionality and service out of it. So EDR, MDR, MSSP, all of those things are fundamentally saying we're opening ourselves up to somebody somewhere else having a say in what happens here. And I think that is a huge shift in the psychology of how we've looked at security. I'm, I'm curious in what you think, like what it'll look like maybe another six years from now. Um, does it get more complex from here or do we start simplifying? So six years in the future, we're going to assume my hypothesis has been proven correct. And now I've gotten to implement my little piece of a vision that changes the game. And what if that's true, then what we've brought to the table is the ability to empirically measure security, which is a bold statement, but I think it's possible. And so to have a ruler and go, okay, I can actually say this works or this needs to be like this or this doesn't work and prove it. And I don't just prove it in like, oh, lab results or opinion or yesterday. No, that is definitively true at that measurement. That's a bold statement. If that could become true, that changes this whole ballgame. Um, I think that the other thing we're going to see is a lot more question about data integrity. I think the ability to manipulate data um, all the way from what's going to happen in an enterprise level inside the network to uh, the advance of artificial intelligence to producing deep fakes. Um, pictures and videos and the ability for artificial intelligence to generate those however they need is going to cross a quality threshold where what we were able to believe with our eyes and our ears is no longer going to be something we can take for granted. And that's going to be a substantial shift in overall human culture. As many of you already know, next week is Hacker Summer Camp, a time in the summer where hackers congregate in Las Vegas for a week for Black Hat, Besides Las Vegas, the Diana Initiative, and of course, DEF CON. This episode is releasing on the 29th, uh, which means that next week is Hacker Summer Camp. What are you the most excited about for Hacker Summer Camp? Uh, what's going on? Are you giving any talks? What's, what are you doing? Uh, so I will be doing four appearances. Um, I, I will be on a game show style panel with Alan Friedman, Chris Kubeka, and Dr. Ludmila. Uh, I, can't, I don't want to mispronounce her last name. Um, and we'll be looking at uh, discussing cyber attacks and threats. Um, I will be doing um, another talk 
where I will be demonstrating how easy it is to build up um, mass attack campaigns in IoT. Um, so not, hey, great, you can compromise a nest. I mean, if you want to be a rock star in exploitation, go look at IoT. Like within a day, you'll find O'Day. It's, it's really that bad. Um, but what's the bigger implication of that? And that's what that talk is. And I demonstrate the whole attack lifecycle through that. Um, and then I will also be doing a stand-up comedy routine at B-Sides Las Vegas. Um, so I will be part of the hacker stand-up comedy space. Um, and then uh, ICS Village, um, I will be giving a talk. Um, it's going to be one of two things. So I will not commit to what that is yet. So if you've had the chance to attend some cybersecurity conferences this year, you may have received a sticker or a t-shirt or a pin with an adorable smiling unicorn holding a large blue scythe. Or if you were at Hacker Summer Camp, you might have also seen a t-shirt with a Grim Reaper riding a unicorn printed on it. If that's ringing any bells, you probably know what I'm getting to. But for the uninitiated, well, the Grim Reaper is the mascot for Grim, and the unicorn is a mascot for Scythe. Well, now there's three unicorns, a red one, a blue one, and a purple one, each to resemble their respective security team. Red's on the offensive side, blue's on the defensive side, and when the two teams come together and share knowledge, that's a truly purple team experience. But how unicorns became a mascot for Scythe? So every summer, uh, Grimm would come up with a design for a DEF CON shirt. And uh, last year, we were trying to co-brand, co-brand it Grimm and Scythe, and I don't know where it came from in my consciousness but somehow i was like how about like a grim on top of a unicorn and our graphic artist just nailed it and did a brilliant job and it's it is such a great design in fact it's so good that we partnered with hackers for charity where they sell men's and women's t-shirts with the design because it was so popular um and it was a huge hit and you know it was one of those things we knew it was good but we didn't realize how big a hit it was until we showed up at black hat and just everybody snapped everything up um and we're like oh all right well this is cool but everybody kept calling it the Grim design. I'm like, ah, oh, well, I just launched this new company called Scythe. And all right, well, the unicorn thing seems to be kind of cool. So let's do, let's follow up with that. So at ShmooCon in January this year, we came out with the unicorn holding the Scythe. And then because our platform is supports blue teams and red teams for a purple operation, we came up with the three colors for those unicorns. So there's a blue unicorn, a red unicorn, and a purple unicorn. And because there's three mascots, a couple months ago, Scythe opened up a poll to let the community name the three. And to finally announce the trio... The blue unicorn is Sky. The red unicorn is Helios. And the purple unicorn is Violet. Um, okay, so final question. Um, so from your journey of being at West Point, like being a tank commander, being a consultant, building the uh, firm Grimm, and now building Scythe, what's one lesson that you would like to pass on to everyone listening? Beyond all of the other lessons that I've already gone through, (laughs) man, I wish I was the fount of wisdom that you say I am. Um, you don't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I've mentioned it, I think in different ways throughout this podcast, but, Mm -hmm. um, a place does not succeed because of the entrepreneur or the, fa- the founders. It succeeds because of who they know, their network, and the overall team. Um, nobody in any job does it alone. Okay. Well, Bryson, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. Do you have any shameless plugs, words of wisdom, shout outs, anything? Buy Scythe. 
Change your world. Hey there, thanks for listening. Bryson and Scythe will be hosting a number of different events and parties in Vegas, so definitely sign up for them. I'll add links in the show notes. And if you're interested in what Bryson's up to, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Bryson Bort. And if you're a fan of the show and headed to Vegas next week, catch up with me too. I'll have a whole stack of brand new stickers to spread the good word. This episode was recorded and mixed by me. Mary Vung wrote this episode and Jeffrey Q made the cover art. Special thanks to Bryson for an awesome conversation and we wish him the best during his talks and when he goes for Scythe Series A. And of course, thank you listener for tuning in. You can let us know what you thought of this episode by tweeting at HackerCultureFM or emailing me at Sean at HackerCulture.FM. I'd love to hear what you think about the new narrative style and use your feedback to improve this show. And since we're releasing bi-weekly now, make sure to check out some of the other shows from Hacker Culture FM. You can find all that good stuff by going to our website, hackerculture.fm. That's hackerculture.fm. There you can find some really cool merch that directly support your favorite creators. See you in two weeks, wherever you listen to podcasts. See you tomorrow. Same time, same city.